Hello, everyone, and welcome into another episode of After Hours, a minor league baseball podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Apter. I worked in the industry of minor league baseball for nearly a decade and absolutely loved every minute of it, so I decided to start a podcast about it, and it's been a really, really great time. Thanks for joining me for this episode. If you're not already following the show on Twitter, please do at After Hours Pod. You can also find the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify as well, and Anchor.fm. If you prefer to listen on your desktop, Anchor also has a app to listen too. As always, if you like what you're hearing, please leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts so I can feel really, really good about myself and how I'm doing. Always enjoy hearing feedback about the show, whether it be good or bad. Finding ways to improve is always a way to make your listeners a little more happy. So hopefully you've enjoyed what you're hearing in previous episodes. And if this is your first time listening, uh, welcome and thanks for joining us. So in this installment of After Hours, I'm going to be joined by the voice of the Fayetteville Woodpeckers, Matt Sabatis. He joined the team as they moved to into a brand new ballpark as the Fayetteville Woodpeckers, a new team in the Carolina League, which is a high A affiliate league. So we are going to talk about how he got the opportunity to become the play-by-play voice of the Woodpeckers, the early reception of the Woodpeckers name to the community in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and some of the top prospects of the Astros that have already found their way into Fayetteville and perhaps into higher levels as well in the Astros organization. Thanks again for joining me, and please enjoy this episode of After Hours, a minor league baseball podcast. All right, everyone, welcome back into After Hours, a minor league baseball podcast. Right now, I'm very happy to be joined by the play-by-play voice of the Fayetteville Woodpeckers, Mr. Matt Sabatis. Matt, thanks so much for coming on the show. No problem, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Very much appreciated. Yes, and the first batch of episodes on After Hours, I got to talk with a few of the teams that had rebranded, moved to new cities, had new names and everything, so I'm excited to dive back into that with the Fayetteville Woodpeckers in their 2019 season, their first season in Fayetteville. But uh, why don't we learn a little bit more about yourself first? Uh, You kind of dipped your feet in a couple of different industries, uh, radio before uh, getting to Fayetteville. So how did the opportunity for the position with the Woodpeckers arise for you? Uh, What was the interview process like and kind of how did your previous experience play into all of that? Well, when, so out of college, I've gone to a small Division II college uh, just outside my hometown in St. Louis. It was called uh, Lindenwood University. When I got out of college, I was offered a position with another Division II college a, in North Carolina called uh, UNC Pembroke. Mm-hmm. They're in the, uh, the, the Peach Belt Conference, uh, one of the southern conferences in D2. Uh, very good basketball school, a decent football program, too, and when I got there for the season, for the, for the athletic season after I graduated college, I had heard about the Fayetteville Woodpeckers. At that, at that point, they didn't even have the name yet. I just knew that there was a minor league baseball team coming to the area right. because it's about, it, it's in the general vicinity, only about 45 minutes away if you're really going from edge to edge on the cities. Um, so I had heard about it and I had looked into it and I, 
I had reached out to the, the folks running the front office and getting prepared for that inaugural season here in 2019. And I was saying, hey, I'm around here. You got anything? Uh, if, if you're looking for anybody, if you, if you have availabilities, uh, there's someone you might want to keep in mind because, you know, I'm nearby. And they said, they said, yeah, they'd keep me in mind, but it was still very, very early on in the process, of course. So they obviously weren't thinking that far ahead at that point. They were still thinking about the stadium being constructed. Of course, yeah. That, of it's course. a big thing. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of important. So, um, over that, so over that next summer, I went to uh, the Philadelphia area. I was working with the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, the AAA affiliate of the Phillies. But I'd always kind of just stayed in touch with a couple of guys in the front office here in Fayetteville and just right. said, hey, I, whenever whenever you get around to it, I know you've got other things on your mind, but I, I'd love to chat at some point. And eventually, uh, around February, around late January, early February of, uh, of this winter, uh, I, I got the interview, I got the job, and pretty much ever since uh, I accepted that offer, it's been a hundred miles an hour the entire way. It's yeah. had to get out here, set up a lot, and we've been rolling with the season ever since. So I've been having a ton of fun with it all, and it, it was it was a long journey because it started in North Carolina. Then I went back to Pennsylvania. I went to Pennsylvania, and then I was back home for the off season. So yeah. it was, and that, now I'm back in North Carolina. Yeah, it took me. It took me multiple 10 plus hour drives and a few months just to move 45 what what interstate did you have to take from pennsylvania to north carolina is that just 95 pretty much the whole way up yes pretty much 95 the whole way i think uh i think once i got closer to philly uh i had to i had to change i had to get onto a different interstate i don't remember i think it was probably 476 like the northeast extension i think so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Th- those drives are never good. 95 95 is a little more scenic. I know driving yeah. through Virginia is is really 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 oh, yeah. boring. Um yeah. <laughs> but uh I remember driving from Georgia up to Philly, you have to take uh 85 a lot of the way and it's just yeah. it's just like plain grass the entire way. But yeah, those drives are brutal. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm from Missouri. I know I know what long like I've made the drive between St. Louis and Kansas City a few yeah. times and that there's, brutal. There's nothing. There's, yeah, there's there's nothing at all. So so I've gotten used to it at least. That's the that's the fortunate thing. It's that I know I knew what I was in for throughout the entire throughout the entire drive. Yeah, and I think that's really good too because minor league baseball sports, really in general, is one of those industries where sometimes in order to make a name for yourself, you need to move around. You can't always stay yep. in one place and expect things to happen there. You have to be willing to take that opportunity elsewhere to grow your career. A hundred percent. That's something that I've always just kind of made sure about myself is that I, I don't want to get locked in early on. And while it, while positions may avail themselves to the point where, okay, I can definitely see myself being here for a long time, maybe a, maybe a good life, but locking yourself into to a singular space or a singular location in the country is probably going to hurt you because there's only so many opportunities in this yeah. field and in sports in general that they dry up pretty quickly and the folks that get them they usually hang on to them so if you're not if you're not finding something elsewhere you might be in trouble yeah exactly now for you 
talking about uh, Philly or Pennsylvania. I know Iron Pigs are up in Allentown, so a little bit outside north of Philadelphia. Uh, now back with the Woodpeckers, as we mentioned, a new team and a new stadium, lots of new. So what was it, how has it been like for you, the transition going from a team that's pretty you know, well-rooted there, um, especially like their broadcast team? at this point and everything like that to now getting to kind of work your way and create your own sort of broadcast from the, from the bottom up with uh, the woodpeckers. It, it, it was actually a relatively simple transition just because of how much experience there was in Lehigh Valley and how well they operated up at that ballpark. Uh, Coca-Cola park is one of the best, probably the best minor league baseball park I've ever been to. And I've been to a good handful. Yeah. And it's, it's basically, it's practically just a a major league stadium, just without a third level and without as many outfield seats. When you look at just the overall size of the first and second level, the concourse, everything involved there, the team store, it just feels like a major league ballpark. And, Honestly, the amount of fun that they had there and the way that they presented themselves on and off the field just kind of gives you that same feel. They were extremely professional and well-experienced in everything they did, and honestly, I think that made it a lot easier for me to make the transition because I was able to pick up on how they operated and how they operated so well. So I right. And I'm usually pretty good at, at picking things up on the first try and being able to replicate it at least to the best of my ability fairly quickly. So when I got here, I was able to just take a lot of the experiences I gained in Lehigh Valley and apply them to some of the things that either were in their infancy when it came to being created or established on a broadcasting or media relations standpoint, or in some cases starting from scratch. And uh, a lot of the times using some examples from what I learned at Lehigh Valley to to just build something out of nothing and make it, make it seem professional here for, uh, for the woodpeckers. Yeah. And when it comes to the Woodpeckers, it's it's a unique name, kind of a, a little less crazy than some of the ones that we're seeing in the uh, yeah. slew of rebrands that we now get every yeah. offseason. But when it yeah. comes to that naming process, the finalists for Fayetteville were narrow, narrowed down from over 1,400 submissions to five finalists, uh, which were the Fatbacks, the Flytraps, the Jumpers, the Wood Dogs, and the Woodpeckers. And they landed on the Woodpeckers in honor of a specific breed or specific type of Woodpecker that was once seen across Fayetteville, but is now endangered. So what can you tell us yes. about the process of coming to that name as the name of the Fayetteville Ball Club? So it's it's for the red cockaded Woodpecker. It's an endangered species of Woodpecker that, like, like, like you said, Brandon, used to have a very high population here in the area. And locals for Fayetteville, they, they understood the relevance of the name. While some people would look at it and say, oh, what's a, what, why, why pick the woodpeckers? Why not pick like a cool animal or something? But the locals here in Fayetteville, and especially those that had been stationed at Fort Bragg, because if, if you aren't aware, and some listeners might not be aware, that Fayetteville is basically the home of Fort Bragg, Mm-hmm. In terms of in terms of total population, it's the largest military installation in the world, with well over fifty thousand members stationed on the facility. And the thing is, is that at Fort Bragg, the red cockaded woodpecker is such a valued species, and since it's endangered, 
And since it has some decent homes on base, one of the things, one of the protocols on base at Fort Bragg is if anyone on base, active or not, encounters a nest for the red cockaded woodpecker, then every action, every practice, anything in that vicinity, I think it's a three-mile radius, has right. to stop and clear out in order to make sure that that nest for that endangered species is preserved. Interesting. And while while a lot of the a lot of the the veterans and a lot of the uh, the military personnel when they when they heard about the name they said yeah we'll tell you a lot about the woodpecker and they, they said of course in a sarcastic tone because sometimes it would put a wrench in their day because some of their stuff came grinding to a halt just because a woodpecker's nest was found. Wow! But it has a lot it has a lot of significance simply because. It's such a small little creature, but it it's just got such a big and important history in this area that so many people, at least locals in the Fayetteville area and Fort Bragg regulars, they, they recognize it and connect with it right away. They understand why we chose this name after searching through the applicants. And it was also because of the fan vote. It won out the fan vote, too. And that's because the locals picked up on it quickly, and they realized it was a, it was a pretty darn good name. When you see it in action, it, it, it's honestly the one that just flows off the tongue the best, in my mind. Yeah, and, and when you look at the other names, what what when you say the Fayetteville Jumpers, what is a jumper referring to? You know, I've never actually asked. <laughs> I... <laughs> I, I maybe like a grasshopper or something. That's what maybe. I was thinking. Or maybe like a frog. I'm not sure. I've never looked into it. And I'll uh, have, yeah, I'll have, I'll have to follow that up. And Fort Bragg is is one of those places where they've had some sort of all star game or or all star festivities yeah, there so, at some point, right? So Fort Bragg was the host of the Fort Bragg game. So you go back to July 3rd in 2016, Major League Baseball and Fort Bragg specially constructed a stadium to house the on-base military members for the first ever Major League Baseball game played in the state of North Carolina. It was a game between the Miami Marlins and the Atlanta Braves. It hosted just under 13,000 total fans in the specially constructed stadium and Atlanta won 5 to 2. So it wasn't it wasn't a part of the All-Star festivities it was right before the break. That's right. But but yeah, it was uh it was July 3rd, 2016 for that Fort Bragg game. Yeah, the first ever major league game played uh, in the state of North Carolina. Now, do you guys do uh, more military specific promotions since you guys, since oh. there's such a big uh, population there? Uh, we so our first uh, our first themed jersey night. I think we've got four this season, but the first one that we well so far the only one we've done so far. But our first one this season was our Black Ops jersey night. So it's a jersey just designed with digital camo and uh, just a, a Black Ops theme in mind. We've had uh, what was it paratroopers from the Black Daggers uh, parachuting commission. Oh, very cool. Yeah, just. Those are always visually. Those are always so unique for fans to see. Yeah, we uh, twice they've they've come into the stadium to deliver the game ball. They did it on opening night, and they did it on the they did it on the night in which we first wore those uh, 
Black Ops uniforms. We've got our Military Appreciation Night coming up uh, about midway through next month. That's on the Army's birthday, so that's going to be a, a very fun event. And pretty much, and, and the thing is that those Black Ops jerseys is are one of the most popular jerseys around, not just for the fans, but for the players too. They were only intended to be worn four total times this season, but the players have just kind of called team votes and worn them probably already eight times this year. Wow. They, they, they enjoy those jerseys a ton. We've got a, we've got a couple of other uh, military events that come out later during the season. I know we've got a National Airborne Night presented by uh, the Fort Bragg Federal Credit Union. That's going to be in August. And then uh, a couple of other just, oh, as you'd assume, uh, outdoors night, things of that right. nature, not necessarily not necessarily uh, military theme, but there's always there's always just a big military set in this ballpark. And, of course, we offer discounts for active duty and retired military veterans and those still in the service. They've always been granted a discounted price to our game. So we, we make sure we take care of our military personnel here in the city of Fayetteville. Yeah, that's that's awesome, and it's it's probably just a really unique scenario, really, for you guys to to have that population and be able to take advantage of it, because you see across minor league baseball, pretty much every team, if not having one night, but uh, a number of nights dedicated to honoring the people that serve and have served our our yes. our country for for such a long time. Of course, yeah, and that that's about it is that we we really get the opportunity to just show like show this area show this city and show the folks at Fort Bragg so much love because the fact is that they haven't had an affiliated franchise in a very long time nearly 20 years at this point and now they're getting one from just one of the best organizations in all of baseball from the Houston Astros they've done such a good job in just about every facet of treating this city well yeah definitely um so going a little bit back to baseball in Fayetteville 2019 the first season for the Woodpeckers but uh this is the first year that uh, Fayetteville has minor league baseball since the Cape Fear Crocs moved to Lakewood New Jersey at the end of the 2000 season to become the Blue Claws so I know you mentioned the fans voted for Woodpeckers pretty much you know, over the over uh, over the other options that were out there, but from when gates opened on opening night in the new ballpark, what has the fan reception been so far with the new name? Because you know, you see a lot of negative reception, but like we said before, this is not as crazy a name of the uh, that we've seen. It's yeah. it's more relatable, so I imagine the fan reception was good. But what was it like finally opening opening the gates for the first time, and how has it been so far? Oh, it's it's been out. That first game we had over, I think it was 6,500 folks through the gates. Uh, it was just one heck of a night that, honestly, I I can barely remember individual bits and pieces of because so much happened so fast for such a great night that it all just kind of started to blend together after a while. But it was it was one of the the, the funnest nights in my career so far. And yeah, prior like prior to that, the thing is is that while Fayetteville did have affiliated ball here from eight, from 1987 until 2000. The team did undergo a name change after 1996, but while they did have affiliated baseball here for over 20 years, the facility they were playing in wasn't really the best, 
And at the time that the Cape Fear relocated to Lakewood, that ballpark was already in the decline and a little bit toward the bottom half for minor league baseball. So now that now that the Woodpeckers are here and now that fans are getting to see just the outstanding facility at Segra Stadium, they've really embraced it quickly. And when I'm out when I'm out, out of the ballpark and I'm out going to dinner or catching a movie or just doing something out on the town and I'm seeing people in Woodpeckers hats and in their Woodpeckers T-shirts and all of that because our our team store has done a phenomenal job this season. Mm-hmm. When I do, when I see a lot of that, it just it, it doesn't necessarily blow my mind because I kind of expected it coming in, but it just makes me feel so gosh darn happy to just see this this large amount of people in this city embrace the team the way that they have. It makes me feel like I'm almost back home in St. Louis when I'm seeing Cardinals here. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's always great, and I think that that goes across minor league baseball. Is that even fans not in the city of Fayetteville or any other city that hosts a minor league team, but you see these hats sweeping the nation? Really, I, I feel yeah. like on on a weekly basis when I go out on the weekends or something like that, I see at least one minor league hat just yeah. randomly there at a bar or in a supermarket or at the mall. Um, but, uh, so going, going off of the success that you just talked about, um, the woodpeckers are one of the top three teams when it comes to average attendance this season in the Carolina league. And there are a lot of teams in the Carolina league that have yearly success. So seeing you guys come right out of the gates and, and be top three, that's great. Um, so you have the new ballpark that you mentioned, Segra stadium, what are some of the unique features of the ballpark that fans can uh, expect to enjoy if they have not been to a game yet? Just a, just a few things offhand. Uh, we've got a very nice kid zone that uh, is pretty, pretty darn fun, even for a guy my size, with some great inflatables and a nice miniature ballpark for the kids to play in with a wiffle ball and bat. Uh, state-of-the-art, uh, what, what are the dimensions? Uh, state-of-the-art video board that sits at, 25 feet by 70 feet, and it is just outstanding. For this level, it's almost insane that we have this darn thing because it just looks so beautiful. It looks like something that you'd probably see in a major league park. Other than that, uh, some of the other fun features, we've got a rocking chair porch over in left center field, these very nice, almost ergonomic-style rocking chairs. It's a very big single piece of just one hard chair it's, it, it doesn't have legs or anything it's just one giant chair if, if you understand just one giant piece almost like a wedge yeah and you're just sitting in there and rocking and there's about 45 of those over in left center field and that's always been a popular spot uh but then the biggest attraction that's pretty much held all season so far and will only stand to get more and more popular as the season progresses is uh the Keeley's bar in right field so the great thing about Healy's Bar, and this is something that I've enjoyed just every time it's come around, is that usually after, well, after every Thursday, Thursday game, and then usually after Friday and Saturday contests, the bar will stay open after the game until midnight, sometimes 1 or 2 a.m., oh, wow. just for patrons to hang out, have some fun, watch some more sports, and they've also got a, a ton of of lawn games around there, too. They've got some artificial turf laid down for the lawn games and for some patio furniture. They've got they've got cornhole. They've got lawn darts. They've got foosball. They've got the giant Jenga. They've got Connect Four out there. 
and it's all while you're drinking, having fun with your friends during the game and even after the game if you just want the party to keep hanging on. Right. Pretty soon they hope they hope to keep it open even when the team is on the road, but I think that's uh, still taking a little time to be fully processed through, but that's the eventual plan, at least as far as my knowledge expands. But for now, even when the team's at home and that bar is open after the game, it's the place to be. It's just outstanding to just take in that atmosphere, even when the game is over. It's so much fun. Yeah, and I, I think in that situation too, especially with a new team, even though there seems to be a very good foundation base of fans, having a place like that where they can go congregate after games isn't something that you see at every other ballpark. Um, so it builds that sense of community, which is huge yeah. for teams, especially new ones like, like the Woodpeckers. Yeah. You're absolutely right, and that, that's kind of one of the things that it's really seemed like as we've brought together some of our promotions as well, is that it brings a lot of communities together, maybe communities that, you know, don't necessarily bond over a lot of a lot of things at first. They'll get out and bond over baseball because they'll be out here with 5,000 of their closest friends to take in a ball game, and then a few thousand left over will hang out at Ewing's Bar in right field in place of the long game. So yeah. it's just – it's it's been so much fun watching the city embrace all of this because it's the fact, the fact that this is such a new experience for so many of these people. And for a lot of them, they're, they've never really had baseball in their lives because some of these people haven't lived in a major city. Some of them never really got a chance with the keep your cross leaving in 2000. And now they're getting to experience something like this. It's, it's incredible to just watch all the excitement. Definitely. And we, we, we've spoken about uh, what, what fans can expect to see in the ballpark, some of the military promotions, but let's not forget about the product on the field. You are the play-by-play yeah. voice after all. So you guys have yeah. not necessarily gotten off to the best start record-wise, but yeah. as a lot of people know, minor league baseball is not necessarily about the records. It's about player development. So you guys have had a handful of top prospects, some of the Astros' top 30 prospects to come through Fayetteville already. The number seven, the number nine, the number 10, 23, 26, and 29 prospects. I have them all listed by name here, but I figured this would be easier. Um, So what are some of the early things that you've seen from these top guys? I know a couple of them have earned promotions, but the Astros, yeah. one of those teams that are now a, a annual club that's that's in the plo- the postseason. Yep. So just going down the line for a few of them, Seth Beer will obviously be one of the more notable ones. He's probably the highest-rated offensive prospect that we've seen so far this season. First-round draft pick last year out of Clemson, and he he was a little slow to start out the year, probably because the team started with 14 games on the road to open up the season. But once he got back home and once he started to get comfortable, he really started to light things up before being promoted midway through this month. And when he left, he was batting 328, led the league with nine home runs, which has only recently been tied. And remember, this is the last day of May. He's been gone for two weeks. And he had 34 RBIs. He had, I think, six of his nine home runs just in those first two weeks of May. He won a Player of the Week honor by hitting, oh, I think it was 390 over the course of a seven-day span with three home runs, his first three home runs all against one team. He was fantastic to watch, fantastic to talk to. He's just got fantastic power. 
to all sides of the field. He's a left-handed first baseman and outfielder, and the fact of the matter is, if you've got a left-hander that can hit home runs to left field in the opposite direction, yeah, that's uh, that's a guy taking it for the big leagues. They're there. doing something right. Yeah, and he after after he left Fayetteville and he went to Double A Corpus Christi, he's already won Player of the Week in the Texas League, so he's he's doing just fine. But the thing for Fayetteville is that. While their offense has been very, very strong, one of the best in the league, they've kind of kept it consistently spread across the board. A couple of guys with some extra home runs over most, someone like Jake Adams, who has eight, Miguel Angel Sierra, who has six. But it's the pitching staff for Fayetteville that, while their ERA is a little bit higher than most, they've still been putting up some mind-blowing numbers overall. And uh, I'll just give a, a very brief example of it from last night. Because while coming into today, Fayetteville has 583 total pitching strikeouts. That's the second most in all of minor league baseball, just behind the Dodgers' advanced day affiliate in California, the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes. But 583 pitching strikeouts. In last night's game, there was a prospect that was just brought up a few days ago from our single-A affiliate, and he's not even really a, he's not a top-30 prospect on any of the draft board or any of the ranking boards, I should say. Johante Torres. This is a guy who signed at 21 years old out of the Dominican Republic, very late for a lot of these international players. But something clicked with him when he started working with the Astros, and suddenly he's throwing 98, 99 miles an hour. Wow. He comes in He comes in with a two-run lead for the sixth inning, fires four scoreless frames, only allowed one base hit, and struck out nine. Wow. It was, it was one of the most insane outings I've ever seen. He struck out the side of the ninth and finished with a 98-mile-an-hour fastball up and away to close out the game and get the save. That's the thing, is that Houston knows what they're doing, and they know how to do it so well that it, it, it's, it's going to be so mind-blowing for this team once they get even more guys from single-A going into the second half. Because, yeah, you said it, the, the performances here in this first half haven't really transpired to a good record, but in terms of individual statistics – this is a team that is still outstanding offensively and still has some of the best pitchers in the league. Once those two sides can get on the same page, they're going to go on a massive run, and I'm pretty certain that they're going to win the second half Yeah, send this team to the playoffs. I'm, I'm really sure of it. Well, that's that's great. And, and for those of you who are listening and are just like first and second half, what's this? I know that it's probably a small majority, since I know a lot of people that listen to this are minor league baseball people, but uh, a good majority of leagues across minor league baseball split their seasons into two halves. So there's a first half champion and a second half champion and uh, two wild cards, I believe, right? Uh, not, not at this level. So for the Carolina League, it's just the first half champion of each division faces the second half champion of the uh, of the same division in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, I think I That's was thinking if yeah. if you win both halves, then there's yes, it's yes. yeah, okay, yes. so. So yeah, I think that's a thing that is starting to make its way into the upper minor leagues throughout the years. I know it's across single A now, and I'm pretty sure that 
there might be a couple of double A leagues that have started to do it. I think I think the Texas league does it. I'm not sure about the Eastern league yeah. or the Southern league. I know, I know I know Triple A does not. Triple A does full season. Yeah, I'd imagine they'd probably stay that way. But it wouldn't surprise me if Double oh, yeah. A to to switch things up ends up uh, going to that first half, second half sort of yeah. layout. Yeah. Um. So to to finish things off. We talked about what the new stadium offers. We talked about some of the players. And now one of the things that a lot of people go to ballparks for, especially if they have kids, are promotions, a lot of on-field events and everything like that. So as of this recording, we're heading into the third month of the season, June. So which upcoming games should fans be most looking forward to when it comes to the upcoming promotions and events at Segura Stadium? Segura Stadium, sorry. No, you're good. So what we're going to be having next, uh, going into our final homestand of that first half, uh, June 15th is going to be our big big giveaway of that week. Uh, it's Margaritaville. We're having a nice Jimmy Buffett cover band, and first 1,500 fans through the gates are going to get a nice Woodpeckers beach towel. It's just got the big old Woodpeckers logo on the front of it. I actually uh, got mine earlier today. It's a, bit, it's a very, very nice one. But then I nice. think the biggest one, the biggest one we might be seeing all season will be on June 29th. That's when we're going uh, in honor of the Houston Astros. It's just the parent club night for that one, and the first 1,000 fans are getting a bobblehead for Jose Altuve. That's the only bobblehead we're giving away this season. So I, I really think that that's going to be a, a very, very big one. We do give away uh, a replica stadium later on in the season. That's on August 24th. And right. then, of course, the trading card set for the team on August 31st. But that's a little bit further down the line, of course. I definitely think, though, that that June 29th game, when we're giving out the Jose Altuve bobblehead, that's probably going to be one of the biggest and hottest commodities for fans to pick up promotions-wise here at Denver Stadium. Well, that's awesome, Matt. Thank you so much for taking some time. I know you have a uh, game broadcast to get here in about uh, 10 or 20 minutes, but I appreciate you taking um, some time out of your schedule to, to come on the show and chat about the Woodpeckers. No, no, you're good, Brandon. I very much appreciate the opportunity. I was glad to have the chat. Yeah, and best of luck to you and the team as the inaugural season continues. Thank you, sir. Have a good rest of your day. All right, thank you for listening to this episode of After Hours, a minor league baseball podcast. I know I mentioned it at the beginning, but if you enjoyed what you're hearing, please feel free to leave me a review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And if you have other friends or colleagues that are fans of minor league baseball or even work in the industry, please feel free to share. And I look forward to having you again on another episode. So have a great day, night, evening, afternoon, whenever you're listening to this, and I'll catch you on the next episode of After Hours, a minor league baseball podcast.